Recovery Elevator, episode 257. Yeah, sobering up in college really taught me that like I am strong and I can I can go through things and be okay. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Bianca. She's from Austin, Texas, and she took her last drink on October 3rd, 2018. It's a fantastic interview. You all are going to love it. Today is the start of the Recovery Elevator Asia Adventure trip, and if you're attending, I cannot wait to meet you in person. Many of you, I'll be meeting at the hotel in just a couple of hours. Life is good. Our latest accountability group, Cafe RE Up, launched January 1st. And it's filling up fast with rock stars who are creating a life where alcohol is no longer needed. We have a spot for you. I want to see you there. Use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Registration for the Recovery Elevator Live in Denver event, Dancing with the Mind, is now open. Go to recoveryelevator.com to register and for more information. And guys, before we get any further, I want to talk to you about better help. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I personally would like assistance in learning how to stop being such a people pleaser. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 700,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Recovery Elevator listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. Okay, let's get started. Each interview, I ask the interviewee, what they like to do for fun. The common response is, well, I'm still trying to figure that out. If you recently quit drinking or are logging some time away from alcohol and you haven't instantly rekindled all those old hobbies from high school, college, or your early 20s where you used to lose track of time and be filled with joy, well, don't worry. This is completely normal. I went through the same thing. In fact, it's rare to hear that someone quits drinking on a Saturday and then on the next Sunday, they're back knitting, fly fishing, or devouring fiction books from their favorite author like they used to. This is completely normal. The addiction process took time and creating the space necessary in your life for these hobbies and pastimes to enter again will also take time. Notice how I said create space. This process is more of a decluttering getting rid of, and allowing things to leave your life that no longer serve you. For those listening, the Mac Daddy of this inner removal of gunk consists of alcohol. So go slow. I encourage you to let the process of rediscovering what you like to do 
happen organically. The incessant desire to find a pastime or hobby to fill your time may be robbing you of the vital energy needed to actually enjoy what you're currently doing right now. In this episode, I won't be rattling off a laundry list of new activities you can experiment with, but instead encourage you to engage in activities where you find yourself in a flow state. Maybe you've recently heard of this flow state, since there has been a lot of buzz around this topic lately, what it is, and the internal restoration that takes place once we find ourselves in a state of flow. This can also be called in the zone, or if you've played the video game in the 90s called NBA Jam, it's referred to as he's on fire. There's a great book on this topic called Flow, the Psychology of Optimal Experience by Mihaly Sizchekni Minihaly, and there's a 0% chance I said that name right. So instead of focusing on new hobbies and fun activities, try to find things where you almost lose yourself, as Eminem would say. In fact, the idea for this episode came to me when I met a fellow traveler who recently took a class in Oaxaca, Mexico, about how they make the local colorful tapestries. The gal who was teaching the class dropped a major value bomb when she said, there are no problems when I'm making tapestries. This is a flow state. When all your energies are pulled into what you're doing and your attentions are no longer on the problems you have at home, the bills you have to pay, or wondering how the fuck you're going to quit drinking, consistently placing yourself in the flow state has the ability to dissolve an addiction, dissolve depression, anxiety, autoimmune disorders, physical pains, and more. In fact, I just uploaded a video to the Recovery Elevator YouTube channel titled How to Make an Addiction Dissolve. I touch upon these flow states in that video as well. Okay, so ideally we want to find a flow state where we are painting, writing poetry, or playing the guitar, and those will come eventually. But this state of no mind can be accomplished in nearly everything we do. I remember when I was a kid, I used to hate mowing the lawn, but after a few laps, I began to enjoy it. Same thing with doing the dishes. After the first plate is washed, I hit a state of flow where I'm almost disappointed that all the dishes are clean. So in early sobriety, try to find tasks that you lose your mind in and time seems to move either faster or slower. This can include journaling, gardening, shoveling snow, walking, running, cleaning, organizing, decluttering a closet, prepping vegetables for dinner, making lunch for others, folding clothes, ironing, sanding wood, or Sudoku. We often try to find external sexy activities and hobbies, and we miss the activities where we lose our mind or find ourselves in a state of flow. Science shows when we reach a state of flow, the brain is cued to release dopamine, endorphins, serotonin, and noradrenaline. Real quick, it's often thought that dopamine is the pleasure molecule, but it's more accurately described as the learning molecule. Once we trigger the release of dopamine while in these flow states, science shows we are three times more likely to seek more healthy flow states. Netflix, social media, surfing the web are not ways I encourage you to find flow states. Here's a good example of the power of these flow states. A list of some of the most profound thought leaders, inventors, artists, scientists of all time were interviewed. 
They were asked what they were thinking about when they had the light bulb moment that defined their career. The answer was all the same. Nothing. They weren't thinking. They were in a flow state where the idea, the music, the famous passage, or the E equals MC squared just came to them. So instead of worrying about how to feel the time or what your life purpose is, find activities where you think less, where your brain can notch down from the high beta waves to alpha and the more calm theta waves. When you do this, you'll find yourself saying things like, why was I so pissed off at Tammy? The dent in my new car isn't that big of a deal. And whoa, I haven't thought about drinking for quite some time. Now, before we hear from Bianca, I want to talk to you about Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community where millions come together to take their next step in their creative journey with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people on topics including illustration, design, photography, video, freelancing, and more. Skillshare is an online learning community that offers membership with meaning. Skillshare is also incredibly affordable, especially when compared to pricey in-person classes and workshops. An annual subscription is less than $10 a month. There's a class that I'll be taking once I get home called Drawing as Self-Discovery, Five Ways to Start. It's these type of classes that help us get creative, which is key to recovery and finding flow states. I like Skillshare because it's a supportive community where we all support each other's creativity. Skillshare is a proud sponsor of Recovery Elevator. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com forward slash elevator and get two free months of premium membership. That's two whole months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. Get started and join today by heading to Skillshare.com forward slash elevator. That's Skillshare.com forward slash elevator. Bianca, how are you? I'm doing great, Paul. I'm really excited for this. Yeah, Bianca, I'm excited too. Listeners, I can see Bianca face-to-face in her Skype interview. She's got this beautiful smile going on. And most interviewees are like, I am so nervous. And you, you might be feeling that. But the first thing, she's like, I'm so excited to do this interview. So I'm excited to do it. I know this is going to be a good one. Let's get right into it. Bianca, when was your last drink? My last drink was October 3rd, 2018, so a year and a month ago. Yeah, good stuff. Over a year away from the booze. How's it feel? I feel great. Like, I really feel like my best self, and I know I'm only going to, it's only going to get better from here. Yeah, fact on that one. Every time I hit a plateau in this journey, I'm like, man, life's pretty sweet. Does it get any better? Well, just hang on. Wait a second. It does. You know, sometimes there's a precursor to that where I got to blast through some emotional baggage that's holding me back, but then wait a second on the other side, it's that much better. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see where this goes for you, for me and everybody else who quits drinking because it allows us um, to really uncover anything that's holding us back in life. Um, And Bianca, give listeners background uh, about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family? And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Cool. Well, I'm 22. I'm from Austin, Texas. Didn't not originally from here. I'm from the Valley, really close to Mexico. RGV. Right now, I'm a temp worker. I just graduated college, so I'm trying to secure that full time job. Still getting there. Not married, but I do live with my girlfriend. And what I do for fun? I've gotten really into reading and just kind of like taking in nature. Yeah, that's really all I do right now. Just kind of go to work, read, take it all in. 
Yeah, what are you reading? Uh, right now I'm reading All the Light You Cannot See. Oh, I that's uh, that's about the World War II. Uh, is yeah. That it? Yeah, yeah. there's a blind girl in World War II. Yeah, I read that a couple of years ago. That book's great. I love it. Oh, awesome, because I'm really liking it right now. So it's like, ooh, I just I can't wait to read it. Yeah, I re- if I recall correctly, it took me about 70 pages to get in, and after that, it was it was game on. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's a good one. And how has nature changed for you in the last year? Um, so around this time last year, I do not remember. You know, an early recovery was just kind of trying to make it through the hour, but this time... I'm really just taking it all in. In Austin, in Texas, the trees don't really change color, but the temperature does. And so I've just been taking all that in. Like um, summer was really hot here, and now it's getting into like the cold, as cold as Texas can get. But yeah, it's really nice to just kind of see that transition. Yeah, I want to share you my screen when when you guys in Texas talk about cold. I just want to pull up the weather app and for Montana right about now. I'm like, hey, Bianca, uh, this is what cold looks like. Uh, and I, I love asking that question about nature because there's a similar response that I get is, is everything is turned up. The colors are more vibrant. Um, it's like you're seeing a sunset and sunrise for the first time. And as we said earlier, this thing keeps getting better. So I recently did a cruise, a meditation cruise with Dr. Joe Dispenza. It was one of the most profound, enjoyable experiences of my life. In fact, you know what? I'm going to say this first with you here, Bianca. I actually spoke with the cruise company yesterday extensively about setting up a cruise with Recovery Elevator. And uh, you should come. You should bring that jean jacket. Um, Listeners, I'm looking at this beautiful jean jacket you're wearing. I love that thing, by the way. And on the cruise ship, there there was mixers, there's events. um, And there was a time where everybody, we had an event inside, but I couldn't leave the sunset. And... It's, it's like I consistently or constantly am upgrading my lens and I'm watching the sunset go, go down while we're like departing from France. And I'm like, does anybody else see the sunset right now? And there were a couple of others um, that also didn't want to go inside to do the networking session or the mixer. And we just watched the sunset. And I think I logged like seven out of the 10 sunsets from the back of the cruise ship because nature is so vibrant. And all your sensory perceptions, your taste, your touch, your smell, your sight, your hearing, they're, they're turned up in a life without alcohol. Is that something you've experienced as well? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Like one thing I'm really trying to do, like I have to walk from my house to the bus stop. And so those 15 minutes are the most serene part of my day, the walking to and then walking from. It's where I can really just take it all in, like listen to the trees, watch the clouds, like nature is constantly reminding me to slow down. Totally. And one rule that I've implemented is every time I get out of the car, I wait until I can see a cloud moving and the watching, this is something I never fully realized before, but the clouds move and it's beautiful to watch them dance in the sky. And so I take conscious moments, conscious breaks throughout the day and I watch the clouds move before I get out of the car. And and these sensory perceptions that are enhanced in a life without alcohol, it allows us to pull our senses, our attention out of the mind and into our external environment. And in the East, they call this, uh, you know, it's like meditation in the, in the, in the West, we'll call us awareness or mindfulness, um, which ironically, it's like getting out of the mind, but we still call it mindfulness for some yeah. reason. But yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Like you comment about your walk to work, you notice so much the trees singing, the trees talking to you. I don't recall how you said that, but I took fully agree because everything's connected everything's talking to each other and it's beautiful how you can let your body be an environment where it starts to pick up on on these support systems and and things that also want you to stay sober so here we are six minutes into the interview i'm having a good time bianca how you doing 
I'm having a great time. Yeah, this is roll, girl. I'm, I'm loving this. All right. Give listeners background about your drinking. When did you start? When did it ramp up? When did you first realize that, oh, shit, this could be a problem? Um, when did you first try to quit? Did you put any moderation techniques into place? Did you have a rock bottom moment? There's nine questions for you. Let's wow. roll, girl. Okay, let me see if I can remember a little background about my drinking. Didn't really drink in high school. Dabbled in it. But nothing too crazy. I did. I will say I skipped drinking, went straight to the drugs. But this is more about drinking, so I'll, I'll keep on that. In college, I went wild. I went to I went to a school about five, six hours away from my hometown, and like I mean, no adult supervision. I was in the party dorm, unironically, and I didn't realize that. And it just kind of went downhill from there. I discovered a lot about myself that first year of college, especially what I'm not. And I think all of my freshman year of college, which was 2015, by the way. It's really when I was like, whoa, I got to take it easy. Like I started horses just going like there was no breaks. I did try to moderate that freshman year or 2015. I tried to moderate by hyper documentation. So I documented every little thing I did, what I drank with who, where, what kind of time did I have? It was like that. My sophomore year of college or 2016. I really, I I love that hyper documentation. Um, yeah. you know, like journaling about how much you're drinking, what, when, where, et cetera. Um, yeah. I had a similar plan where I would document on the calendar. I, I would only allow myself three nights per week out of the seven to drink. And on the calendar that was on my wall, I'd write down how much I drank when I started, when I stopped in, in attempts to, to build awareness, to shine light on the attempts. Um, and then the thinking mind warped that I would just double yeah. up the days. So I'd take three from one week and tail it in with the other, other week. And I do six days in a row. And then I did like 12 days in a row telling myself, well, now, um, I need to stay sober like 20 straight days. So then that never worked. Did the hyper documentation yeah. work for you? Oh no, it did not. I think it actually blew things up because I was so aware and I felt a lot of shame about the fact that like, I'm going to have to document this even though nobody was looking at it. It was purely for my eyes. I would go in with like shamefully updated and I was like, man, I can't, I can't do that again. And so then I'd have like, three days, not three days of sobriety, three days of like moderate drinking, aka I had like two, even though I was bummed out about that. But then because I was so pent up, I would just go on a binge. And then it would be like two weeks later, I haven't updated my document. And there I am just kind of like, uh Oh, what did I do? Let's like rack our brain for that. So it really made me aware of the fact that I had a problem. Yeah. And that's what it did for me too. And it almost ramped up the shame and guilt because I remember walking up to that calendar with my pen and we thought that didn't work. That didn't work. Increased self-loathing. It's yeah. unfortunate, but it all speeds the process up. So in essence, even though the plan didn't work to hyper document this brilliant moderation scheme, it sped up the process for you. Yeah. yeah. So talk to us about, uh, after that. So that was freshman year went wild. That was 2015. 2016 is when I really started dabbling in drugs and I mixed that with my drinking junior year. I just do not remember a lot of things were happening. It's also junior year is the most stressful academic-wise, and I really felt that with my drinking and my drug use. Um, there was a time where I moderated my drug use, but my sponsor pointed out that my drinking increased like threefold. And then going into senior year, that was a mess. So senior year was 2019, and I recently just graduated this past May. Um, the beginning of senior year, which is 2018, I had a lot of things on my plate, and my drinking was still up there. I just remember feeling a lot of shame that I, like sober me, couldn't do it. So I had several rock bottoms, Paul. Like there wasn't just one big one. It was an accumulation of tiny rock bottoms until I had the big rock bottom, which was October 3rd. And that was just 
a lot of drinking, probably as much drinking as I did my freshman year. You mentioned there's a lot on your plate. You have the stresses of college, what you're going to do for the rest of your life, right? I mean, I, I went yeah. through that too. A lot of us did. And so was there uh, October 3rd, you, you hit it hard. Was there a rock bottom moment? I know you said you had several, but what happened on that day? On October 3rd, we had just, so me and my friends and my partner, we had gone out to eat to celebrate. I think we had just uh, finished an event for a club that they were a part of. And so we went out to eat. Nobody was really drinking, but then people started to get one. And I was like, yeah, I'll get one. Got my partner one too. And then, you know, you can never have just one. No, and I remember, you can't. <laughs> yeah, can never have just one. So my friend, my close friend actually took away my wallet and I convinced him to give me my wallet back so I could go get a second one. And then from there, we went to a little liquor store. I, I tricked him again into giving me my wallet. He was upset. He let me have it right then and there after we got the liquor. Parted ways with my friends. We were going to meet up later to continue having fun. But I went home. I had fun all on my own. I remember I had a few shots. And then met up with my friends. This is October 3rd. It's like October 3rd, beginning of October 4th, like that kind of time. It was just a chill little game night, except I was sneaking double shots because I was like, I'm not where I want to be. I want to be here. Everybody else wants to chill, but like my chill is up here. So I was sneaking double shots. So when you're sneaking the double shots, was were you questioning that? Was there some awareness going on? Like, look, I'm doing double shots and the others aren't. Yeah, yeah, I was definitely aware because I would make their shots. They would all take them, turn away, and then boom, I already had one prepared. So I could just quickly take it and then turn back. Yeah, yeah, we're good. We're sneaky. Yeah, we're sneaky, of course. I got it under control. Nobody's paying attention to me. And in my drinking career, I noticed that there was this feeling that I would get when I was like, oh, shit, I did too much. I'm about to go over the little line. I need to get away so nobody sees me in that messed up state. And I remember that so vividly because we were playing Uno and I felt myself getting there. This is like after five double shots plus all the drinks I had earlier that day. I was like, I need to go. And according to my girlfriend, I abruptly like left. Like, I was like, hey, I need to go home. It was like 11, 12. And she was like, okay, text me when you get to my apartment because I lived on campus. We both did. And I just remember stumbling to my, my apartment, half running because I knew that that, uh, that feeling was coming up. So I got to my apartment. I don't remember what happened. Pretty sure I blacked out, probably mixed what I was drinking with some drugs. And the next morning I woke up and I was just ready to just beat the crap out of myself. The next morning you woke up, just intense self-loathing. Like You just hated yeah. yourself. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Just, why did you do that? Like, you drank so much. Like, that wasn't the plan. I was just up to here with myself and my drinking. And, like, I hadn't done any homework. I still had homework to do. Just not where I wanted to be. Yeah, the human body is capable of feeling a, a wide array, a gamut of emotions. But I can personally comment, I know you can agree, the feelings of, of self-loathing, of hating yourself, of guilt, shame, and regret internally are some of the worst. And eventually it's those emotions that pushed me over the edge to start exploring a life without alcohol too. And it sounds like you reached an intense emotional bottom. You said something's got to change. And yeah. what happened after that? So actually, I should follow up with what happened. So this night happened, October 3rd, a few weeks prior, because it was sort of this big thing that was building up, and October 3rd was kind of like breaking point. Midway through September, towards the end of September 2018, I met with my boss, who's also a mentor of mine. Uh, I worked on campus, and he asked me a very pointed question, like, why did I come to college? And I was unable to answer that because I was hungover. I was also still high off drugs, and I remember I was just in a very vulnerable state 
in that conversation and him asking me that really just kind of poked me and I sat with that like why did I come to college I didn't come to college for me I think I came for my parents for expectations and stuff like that and this triggered me looking into my future because I was I wanted to apply to grad school but I had this revelation like I think I'm an addict I think I'm an alcoholic I can't go to grad school if I have these two things like how am I gonna study I can barely study in undergrad much less grad school and so this week of just building up, like, I think I'm an addict, I think I'm an alcoholic, and then having these moments of just, like, intense drug use, intense drinking, and then comes October 3rd, and the self-loathing is just at 200%. And so after that, I woke up on October 4th, and I actually reached out to a hotline. Uh, I text, It was a text hotline, and I kind of told them what was up, what I was feeling, and they said that I should hide my drugs and I should throw away my drinks. So that's exactly what I did, and I've been sober ever since. Whoa, I love that, Bianca. So two weeks before you quit drinking, you get asked a provocative question. Why did you come to college? Now, I think many can agree with with me on this. I don't remember what I learned in my sociology class, psychology class, or even my business accounting class. All the entrepreneurial endeavors that I have that I've gone through in life, it's a school of hard knocks. You just learn as you go. So for me, the most important thing about college is, is you get you get additional life experience, experiences that you wouldn't normally get if you enter the workforce. And from what I'm seeing, you're age 22. You quit drinking at at a young age. You had almost the most profound life experience in college, all wrapped up into four years. The most, the most amazing lessons I've learned in life, I've learned through addiction. And you got all that in college right before you graduated. And here you are a year away from it. The way I look at it is you did that whole college thing perfect. Didn't feel perfect when I was going through it. You know, definitely didn't feel up to par in my classes. Didn't feel like I connected with my professors. Like, I really felt like a slacker in college. But, like, looking back, I know exactly why I felt like that. Because I wasn't showing up as my true self. And I was showing up hungover, possibly high, possibly both. Like, I just wasn't present for college. Yeah, sobering up in college really taught me that, like, I am strong. And I can I can go through things and be okay. Yeah, wasn't present in college. Now, for grad school, you know what you don't want and you know what you will be, which is more present. And you enter grad school with those lessons of I'm strong, I can do whatever I want. I have the courage, determination, and the pride and all that jazz to go internal and, and ditch the booze and ditch the alcohol. Watch out, world, because big beings get started early. And Bianca, you're, you've got a great foundation and you've, heard, you've learned perhaps the biggest lessons that a being can learn in this lifetime. And that's how to regulate emotions without the external substances. So walk us through this year. What was it like after um, you know, October 3rd? Is, that's the big night, October 4th, your first day. Without the journey, you wake up with intense self-loathing emotions. Something's got to change. How did you do it? And what was that first month like? So October 4th, called, not called, texted the hotline, the nice person on the other end. I still have that message saved, by the way, and I go to it from time to time to remind me of, like, those intense emotions that I was feeling. Did what they told me, hid my drugs, got rid of my booze, and those first three, four days were horrible. I would come home from class. I barely wanted to go to class because I was just not in the right state of mind. We'd go to class. Mind you, Paul. I graduated with a math degree, so it was just another level of, I don't understand what's going on. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Those first three nights were horrible. I would go to class, come right back to my dorm to, t to just knock out and cry because I didn't know what was going on. I felt like a baby just kind of thrown into the world. I had intense nightmares. 
those nightmares were horrible. Never had nightmares like that. I had the shakes. Uh, there's this outfit that I would put on when I could just feel the cool, the coldness coming from my body. My body was trying to regulate itself. My temperature was trying to regulate itself. And so I would wear my favorite hoodie, double up on socks, double up on my sweatpants, and would just be under like three blankets just shivering because I'm so cold. That first month, I don't remember it, but I it was... The first month of recovery is the longest month ever, but it's when you pick up that 30-day chip. You're like, I did that. I don't really remember, but I did that, and I'm still sober. And I still get it now. I'm being you know, barely a year and a month clean, but every three months, I feel like I like you said it earlier. Like your lens upgrade, like your eyes just upgrade, and I feel like I I get a new level of clarity, whether that be emotional clarity, spiritual clarity, physical clarity actual clarity like vision wise it's just been great yeah the first six months were also hard first month first three months first six months were hard but after that six months mark i was like okay i got this not in a cocky way but like (laughs) i'm in the rooms i have a sponsor everybody who needs to know knows like i told my professors at least three weeks out like hey this is why i'm really slacking in my studies I feel like I have a substance abuse problem. I'm getting help. Don't worry. Told my parents, very supportive. Told my girlfriend, also very supportive. Told my good friends, very supportive. Everybody is just welcome to this change in me. Yeah, and we talk about upgrading that lens, how we view the world. What's happening is we're tapping into higher levels of consciousness that we all have access to just with alcohol, which is a spirit which is a live spirit. It doesn't allow us to access that level of consciousness. In fact, the opposite happens. It pulls our consciousness level down. Now, I want to ask you a question about what it's like to quit drinking at age 22. Um, Two days before I got your email, I got an email from a listener saying, hey, I'm 22. I go to a junior college. Can you interview somebody uh, who's younger? And then you got your email. I was like, oh, this is so cool how this works out. It's not a miracle, a divine. It's just like this is how this stuff works out as of late in my life. And so, um, yeah, and listeners, there's, there's tailwinds with getting sober earlier and there's tailwinds with getting sober later, right? We all have the regret if we get sober at a later age, cause we feel like our life, we wasted so many years, but those are all lessons that we had to learn. So say we get sober at age 35, 55 or older in life. Um, it's easier because drinking isn't quite the norm, right? It's not so, so it's cultural, but, um, many have already phased out of that period of our life. Now quitting drinking at an earlier age, um, it's more difficult because you're an institution of four-year American public university, which drinking is pretty much the norm, education second. But also it's, it's easier in the guard, like the neural pathways haven't fully developed. You don't have decades of drinking behind you, but it's harder is in you're, you're, you're going against the norm, right? And so what has the experience been like for you at age 22 getting sober at such a young age? Yeah, so I actually got sober at 21 and experienced my 22nd birthday sober. It was hard. It was hard. My school's not a party school, but I mean, Austin, Texas, I was talking to somebody recently, like in the summer, and I mentioned that I was sober, and they're like, wow, what a place to get sober, because in Austin, Texas, there's nothing to do but drink. It's like, (laughs) I guess we have 6th Street, but we have just so many bars and happy hours and restaurants and food and mimosas or brunch and all that kind of stuff. But, um, it was definitely hard. The, I lived in a apartment on campus apartments and the boys above me, the basketball boys, they would throw parties. And so to hear that, to smell that, I think I was about two, three weeks sober when my roommates decided to throw a party. They asked me if I was okay. I was like, yeah, I'm going to leave. I can't be here obviously for this, but it was hard. I remember 
walking to my apartment come Friday. It was Friday walking to my mom's apartment. I would just feel that dread like, oh no, this is when I would normally get excited to like drink or get high or get ready for the weekend. Uh, yeah, it was really hard, but I got through it. I had to deal with myself. Come Friday, I would run straight to my apartment after getting some food, put on my favorite um, little outfit that would keep me warm, and I would have a movie marathon with myself because that's something I hadn't had in a while. I'd watch three movies in a row, no guilt as to what I was watching. It could be cartoons. It could be something really old. It could be something I always wanted to indulge in, and that's what I would do, Paul. That's that's what got me sober, I really think, just watching movies. Yeah, whatever works gets you out of it. And I, I, in your email, you said, I'll be honest, I first started listening to RE to fill the silence and focus on something other than the voices in my head telling me to go yeah. back out. But after a while, I started listening to them because I actually liked the content, what the interviewees had to say. Talk to us about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that. That was very prevalent in the first few months of my recovery, just getting ready for the day. So I would start my day off with drugs and drinking, like would wake up at 7 a.m., shower, everything would hit me. I would be nice and buzzed or crossed to go to school. That's how it went. So come me in sobriety, I was like, uh-oh, I can't, I can't do that. Let me wake up a little later. And then the silence was just getting to me. Like the voices, the voices is like, oh, today will be the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go out. Nobody's going to know. You're 21. Like you have an ID. You can, you can buy booze if you want. Nobody's going to tell you anything. And my sponsor was like, you should look into podcasts. She didn't tell me which one. She was just like, podcasts feel the silence. And so I, well, there I went to the Apple store or podcast, the Apple app whatever it's called. I just typed in recovery. And I think yours was the first one. And I was like, this is a cool logo. Let's click. <laughs> and I played, I played one of the episodes. I don't remember the content, but I remember I liked your voice. It was very soothing. And I was like, I can listen to this. And so I just started listening to it. And then the content started clicking. And there was a few things that you said that really just made me pause. And I was like, wow, wait, I feel very seen. Like other people are going through this. And it, from there, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to listen to this. I'm going to listen to this when I have cravings, listen to this when I'm getting ready in the morning, listening to this when I'm having a great day. I'm just going to listen to this. Yeah, thanks for listening, Bianca. And it's so cool how it comes full circle because on January 20th, you're going to be hearing your own voice on oh, cool. the Recovery Elevator <laughs> podcast. It's going to be great. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and I want to ask you a question about the power of this stigma. So earlier you mentioned you live with your girlfriend. Yes. Yeah, and so was it harder to come out to others as someone who's gay? or someone with a drinking problem? What was harder of the two? That's a good question. I was not expecting that. I think they were both hard for different reasons. So when I came out, I came out fairly young and not everybody was open to the idea. It was around that time. There was a lot of videos on YouTube coming up that was like, it's okay to be gay. And I just remember watching all of those, a bunch of celebrities, a bunch of straight celebrities saying that. But it was also really hard to come out as somebody who can't control their booze. Uh, you said that phrase a lot. And I think what was hard about coming out as somebody who couldn't control their booze wasn't the fact that I was telling somebody who I partied with or anything like that. It was the shame on my end that, like, I couldn't control my liquor as much as I wanted to, couldn't control my drinking, my drug use. So I think they were equally as hard for two different things. Gotcha. And I appreciate your honesty, your authenticity on this podcast. And I wanted to ask that question because I think... I've interviewed maybe eight or nine uh, people who are gay on this podcast, and every single one of them has said that coming out of the closet was easier than coming out of someone with a drinking problem. And you're saying they're both equal. 
God damn this stigma. It just effing sucks, Bianca, because it shouldn't shouldn't be that way for any of those things, for either of those two scenarios. It, man, it's what puts me behind the mic consistently. Where do you see your recovery and sobriety going? What's working for you? And what are you working on right now? Right now, I'm really working on my self-worth and um, just trying not to cut myself down. I had this revelation that the more I listen to my shame, yeah, shame versus guilt. Guilt is healthy. Uh, the more I listen to my shame, the more I don't share, the more I don't show up for myself. That's going to drive me back to the bottle, back to right where I left off. So I'm really working on showing up for myself specifically because I'm a people pleaser. I have no problem showing up for anybody else. But it's for myself that I put second. So I'm really working on that self-worth, the affirmations right now, the spirituality with my highest self, my higher power, God, whatever you want to call them. I call them the wind sometimes. I think the next step is really feeling in touch with my body. Uh, I remember I had this huge revelation like around my first three months of recovery where I could literally feel where my emotions were, like anger in my stomach, anxiety uh, right below the neck. And I had never had that before. I would just feel them. They were just globs. So to have this connection with my body, I really want to hone in on it. And so I'm hoping to like add yoga or consecutive exercise to what I'm doing so far. But there's a, I can only go up from here, Paul. Damn, you are way ahead of the game, especially my trajectory away from alcohol. Uh, and I love what you said, how you can notice the emotions in certain spots in your body. It took me a long time before I had the capacity to do that. And listeners, I always recommend going back to episode 214 when I interview Dr. Sue Mortar, and she talks about um, how we use the mind to locate the body, right? And when we can locate these emotions in the body and in the, the particular location of where they are happening in the solar plexus, the neck, the heart, the back, etc. We do this without labels. We send our energy, our attention, and our focus to these areas. And where we shine our flashlight of awareness in these pockets of our body, um, then um, they start to dissolve because they can't hide there anymore. And then where things can't hide anymore, um, things won't hide there in the future because it's not a hiding place. And so using the mind to locate the body has been a huge, huge game-changing technique and, and strategy of mine. Sometimes I just sit with it. No matter how shitty I feel, we all have rough days, right? Um, where previously, even in recovery, the go-to technique was to go for a run, go for a hike, go for a bike ride, etc. Now that has shifted, I look at these as opportunities to build circuits around these locations in my body of discomfort and really send that energy, that attention, that awareness at it. Um, with practice, these things just simply dissolve. The energy is released. So it's so fun to do this. I know that sounds strange, but I'm getting better at this practice and I can see real time efforts, um, paying dividend dividends. It's cool. That's cool. So I love how you said that. I got another question before we hit the rapid fire around Bianca. Um, I'm, I'm sure in the rooms you've heard drinking is but a symptom. Have you explored the why? Is there anything that's arrived as in why you were drinking? Yeah, uh, yeah, this is something that I've explored by myself, but also with my therapist. Highly recommend therapy. Wow. Growing up, I was, God bless my parents, but we're all victims of victims of victims. And I read that in Louise Hay's book, You Can Heal Your, you Can Heal Your Life. Highly recommend that book. And she talks about how we're victims of victims of victims. So our parents could only teach us what they were taught, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I wasn't taught very good coping skills. Paul was not taught good coping skills, wasn't taught how to speak up for myself, could speak up for others, but couldn't speak up for myself, and didn't know how to emotion emotionally regulate myself. So what would happen is I would have these I would have these big emotions and I didn't know what to do with them, so I'd swallow them. And I used the word swallow because 
I could literally feel myself swallowing the emotions, them kind of getting smaller and smaller until I can't feel them anymore. And I was exploring this in therapy, and I mentioned this to her, and she's like, that's so interesting that you would swallow your emotions and then would uh, proceed to swallow drugs or alcohol in your older life to feel something, to bring that back up. And that's, I think that's exactly why I turned to the bottle. Wow. You literally swallowed the emotions and then almost the alcohol, the drugs were allow you, allowed you to express them. Huh? I love it. And I, I wrote down the victims, the victims, the victims, the victims. You're probably going to yeah. be hearing me saying that in future podcasts. Great stuff, Bianca. Yeah. Bianca, one more question. In the last year, have you experienced a moment or a difficult craving where you wanted to go back and drink, but you didn't? Can you, can you, is there like a specific moment you can touch upon? Yeah, actually one that happened pretty recently, like within the last two weeks. So um, I've, I've heard you talk about this on your podcast, HALT, H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. There are other variations of it. I was hitting all of HALT on my way home. It was just angry, hungry, other personal things were going on. And I was on the bus going home, and uh, there is this place right next to a liquor store conveniently that I've been wanting to try out. It's like a food truck park. And so in a an impulse, I got off the bus and I walked to that little food truck area and nothing on the menu sounded sounded appealing. And so I was going to walk, was going to walk back to the bus stop and that little voice, we all have that little voice in our heads. They were just telling me like, hey, it's cold outside. You know, it would warm you up some booze. There was a Twin Liquors right there. And I was just, nope, nope, not going to do that. Nope. They were just throwing out every excuse in the book, and I just kept walking to the little bus stop, got on the bus, and went home. That was probably the biggest craving that I've had since early recovery, Paul. Wow, so you're saying you just kept telling yourself, nope, I'm not doing this. You drew that line in the sand, you stuck to it, got on the bus, removed yourself from that physical geographical location, and you got out of it, right? Yep, yep. Wow. Nice job. And and Bianca, we've hit the rapid fire round. You could answer these questions in 30 seconds. That would be great. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, let's go. All right, let's do this. What is a light bulb moment you've had on this journey? That I am responsible for my recovery, nobody else. Mm, that's big. I love it. Um, next question. What is a memorable moment a life without alcohol has given you? The ability to really feel my emotions um, and to be surprised. What's your favorite alcohol-free drink? <laughs> water. <laughs> yeah, that's like three in a row. People just said <laughs> water. I mean, it's... Cold water is just delicious. I mean, fizzy water is great. LaCroix and all that jazz, but I got water right next to me right now. That's all you need. Yeah, there's something about ice cold water that really just does it. Yeah. And what are some of your favorite resources? Uh, Definitely my sponsor for sure. Uh, Meetings and AA literature, even actually books that aren't AA literature, like All the Light. What is that The book called? The one that I'm reading right now, All the Light that you can see, that one. Great book. Yeah, all the light you cannot see. I love that book. Uh, yeah, occasionally, yeah. I you know I did like a year and a half straight of just recovery books, nonstop shelf help recovery books, and occasionally I need to switch it up and read a book like that. So I love it. Um, what's on your bucket list in an alcohol-free life? Travel overseas sober. Well, Bianca, you pretty much just uh, threw a slow pitch over the plate. You know we're going to Thailand and Cambodia this January, right? Yeah, I do actually. <laughs> okay. All right. Just, just planting that seed there. Okay. <laughs> uh, what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? I would tell you all to slow down as slow as you can go to feel your emotions, to give yourself that space, to feel your emotions, to cry, to get angry, 
do what you have to do to let it out. And then go, go talk to somebody that really cares about you and ask for a hug. Zen master Bianca, go at it slow. <laughs> go at this slow for fast acting relief. Try slowing down. I love it. All right. And before we depart, Bianca, give, give listeners your own customized, you might need to ditch the booze if line. You might need to ditch the booze if you buy over $200 worth of alcohol and it is confiscated within three days by a good friend. (laughs) Oh, those are so good. I love it. Bianca, thank you so much for joining us. That was awesome. Thank you, Paul, for having me. Yeah, great stuff. The other day after Spanish class, I was walking home to my Airbnb in Oaxaca, Mexico. On the sidewalk, about 30 to 40 yards ahead, I saw about five to six to seven people sitting in plastic chairs. The chairs were faced towards the building inside. As I walked closer, I said to myself, no, this can't be. I really hope it is, but I seriously doubt it. As I approached, I saw smiles on their faces. They were eating quesadillas, passing around a salsa, drinking Coca-Cola. They were laughing, and their energies and focus was still inside of what was going on. As I approached, what I found what was going on, it was an AA meeting that was completely full. Now, the doors were open, and people could no longer sit inside this room because there was that many people, so they put chairs outside on the sidewalk. Now think about this for a second. This is not a private sidewalk in a fenced-in area. This was on a busy road that I had to walk down to get to my Airbnb. I absolutely love how they do AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, in Mexico. They are way less anonymous. In fact, there's nothing anonymous about sitting on a plastic chair while attending an AA meeting on a busy street in Mexico. AA in Mexico, more specifically AA in Oaxaca, damn, nice job on shredding the shame. I hope AA across the globe learns a thing or two from you guys down here in Oaxaca, Mexico. Nice job. Recovery Elevator, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed putting it together, and it helped me, and I hope it helps you as well. So here's a closing that I may be using more often. Recovery Elevator. Go big, because eventually we'll all go home. Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside out. I love you guys. 